Chapter 12, Part 2 of A Short Account of the History of Mathematics. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This is a reading by Paul King, pjk.scripts.mit.edu forward slash pkj. A Short Account of the History of Mathematics by W. W. Rouse Ball. Chapter 12, Part 2. The Mathematics of the Renaissance, 1450-1637. Part 2. Stifel. The methods used by Rudolf and Ries and their results were brought into general notice through Stifel's work, which had wide circulation in Germany. Michael Stifel, sometimes known by the Latin name of Stifelius, was born at Essling in 1486 and died at Jena in April 19, 1567. He was originally an Augustine monk, but he accepted the doctrines of Luther, of whom he was a personal friend. He tells us in his algebra that his conversion was finally determined by noticing that Pope Leo X was the beast mentioned in the Revelation. To shew this, it was only necessary to add up the numbers represented by the letters in Leo Decimus. The M had to be rejected since it clearly stood for Mysterium, and the result amounts to exactly 10 less than 666, 666, thus distinctly implying that it was Leo the Tenth. Luther accepted his conversion, but frankly told him that he had better clear his mind of any nonsense about the number of the beast. Unluckily for himself, Stifel did not act on this advice. Believing that he had discovered the true way of interpreting the biblical prophecies, he announced that the world would come to an end on October 3rd, 1533, the peasants of Holsdorf, of which place he was pastor, knowing of the scientific reputation, accepted his assurance on this point. Some gave themselves up to religious exercises, others wasted their goods in dissipation, but all abandoned their work. When the day foretold had passed, many of the peasants found themselves ruined. Furious at having been deceived, they seized the unfortunate prophet, and he was lucky in finding a refuge in the prison at Wittenberg, from which he was after some time released by the personal intercession of Luther. Stifel wrote a small treatise on algebra, but his chief mathematical work is his Arithmetica Integra, published at Nuremberg in 1544, with a preface by Melanchthon. The first two books of the Arithmetica Integra deal with surds and incommensurables, and are Euclidean in form. The third book is on algebra, and is noticeable for having called general attention to the German practice of using the signs plus and minus to denote addition and subtraction. There are faint traces of these signs being occasionally employed by Stifel as symbols of operation and not only as abbreviations. This application of them was apparently new. He not only employed the usual abbreviation for the Italian words which represent the unknown quantity and its powers, 
but in at least one case where there was several unknown quantities he represented them respectively by the letters a b c and so on thus reintroducing the general algebraic notation which had fallen into disuse since the time of jordanus it used to be said that stifel was the real inventor of logarithms but it is now certain that this opinion was due to a misapprehension of a passage in which he compares the geometrical and arithmetical progressions tartaglia niccolo fontana generally known as nicholas tartaglia that is nicholas the stammerer was born at brescia in fifteen hundred and died in venice in december fourteenth fifteen fifty seven after the capture of the town by the french in fifteen twelve most of the inhabitants took refuge in the cathedral and were then massacred by the soldiers his father who was a postal messenger at brescia was amongst the killed the boy himself had his skull split through in three places while both his jaws and his palate were cut open he was left for dead but his mother got into the cathedral and finding him still alive managed to carry him off deprived of all resources she recollected that dogs when wounded always licked the injured place and to that remedy he attributed his ultimate recovery but the injury to his palate produced an impediment in his speech from which he received his nickname his mother managed to get sufficient money to pay for his attendance at school for fifteen days and he took advantage of it to steal a copy-book from which he subsequently taught himself how to read and write but so poor were they that he tells us that he could not afford to buy paper and was thus obliged to make use of the tombstones as slates on which to work his exercises he commenced his public life by lecturing at verona but he was appointed at some time before fifteen thirty five to a chair of mathematics at venice where he was living when he became famous through his acceptance of a challenge from a certain antonio de fiori or florido fiori had learnt from his master one scipione ferreo who died at bologna in fifteen twenty six an empirical solution of a cubic equation of the form x cubed plus qx equals r this solution was previously unknown in europe and it is probable that ferreo had found the result in an arab work tartaglia in answer to a request from colla in fifteen thirty stated that he could effect a solution of a numerical equation of the form x cubed plus px squared equals r fiori believing that tartaglia was an impostor challenged him to a contest according to this challenge each of them was to deposit a certain stake with a notary and whoever could solve the most problems out of collection of thirty propounded by the other was to get the stakes thirty days being allowed for the solution of the questions proposed tartaglia was aware that his adversary was acquainted with the solution of a cubic equation of some particular form and suspecting that the questions proposed to him would all depend on the solution of such a cubic equation set himself the problem to find a general solution and certainly discovered how to obtain a solution of some if not all cubic equations his solution is believed to have depended on a geometrical construction but led to a formula which is often but unjustly described as cardan's 
when the contest took place all the questions proposed to tartaglia were as he had suspected reducible to the solution of a cubic equation and he succeeded within two hours in bringing them to a particular cases of the equation x cubed plus qx equals r of which he knew the solution his opponent failed to solve any of the problems proposed to him which as a matter of fact were all reducible to numerical equations of the form x cubed plus px squared equals r tartaglia was therefore the conqueror he subsequently composed some verses commemorative of his victory the chief works of tartaglia are as follows his nova scienza published in fifteen thirty seven in this he investigated the fall of bodies under gravity and he determined the range of a projectile stating that it was a maximum when the angle of projection was forty five degrees but this seems to have been a lucky guess two an arithmetic published in two parts in fifteen fifty six three a treatise on numbers published in four parts in fifteen sixty and sometimes treated as a continuation of the arithmetic in this he shewed how the coefficients of x in the expansion of one plus x to the power n could be calculated from those in the expansion of one plus x uh, quantity to the power of n minus one for the cases where n is equal to two three four five or six it is possible that he also wrote a treatise on algebra and the solution of cubic equations but if so no copy is now extant the other works were collected into a single edition and republished at venice in sixteen o six the treatise on arithmetic and numbers is one of the chief authorities for our knowledge of the early italian algorithm it is verbose but gives a clear account of the different arithmetical methods then in use and he has numerous historical notes which as far as we can judge are reliable and are the authorities for many of the statements in the last chapter it contains an immense number of questions on every kind of problem which would be likely to occur in mercantile arithmetic and there are several attempts to frame algebraical formulae suitable for particular problems these problems give incidentally a good deal of information as to the ordinary life and commercial customs of the time thus we find that the interest demanded on first-class security in venice ranged from five to twelve per cent a year while the interest on commercial transactions ranged from twenty per cent a year upwards tartaglia illustrates the evil effects of the law forbidding usury by the manner in which it was evaded in farming farmers who were in debt were forced by their creditors to sell all their crops immediately after the harvest the market being thus glutted the price obtained was very low and the money-lenders purchased the corn in the open market at an extremely cheap rate the farmers then had to borrow their seed corn on condition that they replaced an equal quantity or paid the then price of it in the month of may when corn was dearest again tartaglia who had been asked by the magistrates at verona to frame for them a sliding scale by which the price of bread would be fixed by that of corn enters into a discussion on the principles which it was then supposed should regulate it in another place he gives the rules at that time current for preparing medicines pacioli had given in his arithmetic some problems of an amusing character and tartaglia imitated him by inserting a large collection of mathematical puzzles
he half apologizes for introducing them by saying that it was not uncommon at dessert to propose arithmetical questions to the company by way of amusement and he therefore adds some suitable problems he gives several questions on how to guess a number thought of by one of the company or the relationships caused by the marriage of relatives or difficulties arising from inconsistent bequests other puzzles are such as the following there are three men young handsome and gallant who have three beautiful ladies for wives all are jealous as well as the husbands of the wives as the wives of the husbands they find on the bank of a river over which they have to pass a small boat which can hold no more than two persons how can they pass so as to give rise to no jealousy a ship carrying as passengers fifteen turks and fifteen christians encounters a storm and the pilot declares that in order to save the ship and crew one half of the passengers must be thrown into the sea to choose the victims the passengers are placed in a circle and it is agreed that every ninth man shall be cast overboard reckoning from a certain point in what manner must they be arranged so that the lot may fall exclusively upon the turks three men robbed a gentleman of a vase containing twenty-four ounces of balsam whilst running away they met in a wood with a glass seller of whom in a great hurry they purchased three vessels on reaching a place of safety they wish to divide the booty but they find that their vessels contain five eleven and thirteen ounces respectively how can they divide the balsam into equal portions these problems some of which are of oriental origin form the basis of the collections of mathematical recreations by bachet de mesiriac ozanam and montucla cardan the life of tartaglia was embittered by a quarrel with his contemporary cardan who having under a pledge of secrecy obtained tartaglia's solution of a cubic equation and published it girolamo cardan was born at pavia on september twenty fourth fifteen o one and died at rome on september twenty first fifteen seventy six his career is an account of the most extraordinary and inconsistent acts a gambler if not a murderer he was also the ardent student of science solving problems which had long baffled all investigation at one time of his life he was devoted to intrigues which were a scandal even in the sixteenth century at another he did nothing but rave on astrology and yet at another he declared that philosophy was the only subject worthy of man's attention his was the genius that was closely allied to madness he was the illegitimate son of a lawyer of milan and was educated at the universities of pavia and padua after taking his degree he commenced the life of a doctor and practised his profession at sacco and milan from fifteen twenty four to fifteen fifty it was during this period that he studied mathematics and published his chief works after spending a year or so in france scotland and england he returned to milan as a professor of science and shortly afterwards was elected to a chair at pavia here he divided his time between debauchery astrology and mechanics his two sons were as wicked and passionate as himself the elder was in fifteen sixty executed for poisoning his wife 
and about the same time Cardan, in a fit of rage, cut off the ears of the younger who had committed some offence. For this scandalous outrage he suffered no punishment as the Pope Gregory the Thirteenth took him under his protection. In 1562 Cardan moved to Bologna, but the scandals connected with his name were so great that the university took steps to prevent his lecturing and only gave way under pressure from Rome. In 1570 he was imprisoned for heresy on account of his having published the Horoscope of Christ, and when released he found himself so generally detested that he determined to resign his chair. At any rate, he left Bologna in 1571 and shortly afterwards moved to Rome. Cardan was the most distinguished astrologer of his time, and when he settled at Rome he received a pension in order to secure his services as astrologer to the papal court. This proved fatal to him, for, having foretold that he should die on a particular day, he felt obliged to commit suicide in order to keep up his reputation, or so at least the story runs. The chief mathematical work of Cardan is the Ars Magna, published at Nuremberg in 1545. Cardan was much interested in the contest between Tartaglia and Fiori, and as he had already begun writing this book, he asked Tartaglia to communicate his method of solving a cubic equation. Tartaglia refused, whereupon Cardan abused him in the most violent terms, but shortly afterwards wrote, saying that a certain Italian nobleman had heard of Tartaglia's fame, and was most anxious to meet him, and begged him to come to Milan at once. Tartaglia came, and though he found no nobleman awaiting him at the end of his journey, he yielded to Cardan's importunity and gave him the rule he wanted. Cardan on his side, taking a solemn oath that he would never reveal it, and would not even commit it to writing in such a way that after his death anyone could understand it. The rule is given in some doggerel verses, which are still extant. Cardan asserts that he was given merely the result, and that he obtained the proof himself, but this is doubtful. He seems to have at once taught the method, and one of his pupils, Ferrari, reduced the equation of the fourth degree to a cubic, and so solved it. When the Ars Magna was published in 1545, the breach of faith was made manifest. Tartaglia was not unnaturally very angry, and after acrimonious controversy, he sent a challenge to Cardan to take part in a mathematical duel. The preliminaries were settled, and the place of meeting was to be a certain church in Milan, but when the day arrived, Cardan failed to appear, and sent Ferrari in his stead. Both sides claimed the victory, though I gather that Tartaglia was the more successful. At any rate, his opponents broke up the meeting, and he was fortunate in escaping with his life. Not only did Cardan succeed in his fraud, but modern writers generally attribute the solution to him, so that Tartaglia has not even that posthumous reputation which is at least his due. The Ars Magna is a great advance on any algebra previously published. Hitherto, algebraists had confined their attention to those roots of equations which were positive. Cardan discussed negative and even imaginary roots, and proved that the latter would always occur in pairs, though he declined to commit himself to any explanation as to the meaning of these sophistic quantities, which he said were ingenious though useless. 
most of his analysis of cubic equations seem to have been original. He shewed that if the three roots were real, Tartaglia's solution gave them in a form which involved imaginary quantities. Except for the somewhat similar researches of Bombelli a few years later, see below, page 231, that the theory of imaginary quantities received little further attention from mathematicians until Euler took the matter up after the lapse of nearly two centuries. Gauss first put the subject on a systematic and scientific basis, introduced the notation of complex variables, and used the symbol i to denote the square root of minus one. The modern theory is chiefly based on his researches. Cardan found the relations connecting the roots with the coefficients of an equation. He was also aware of the principle that underlies Descartes' rule of signs, but as he followed the then general custom of writing his equations as the equality of two expressions, in each of which all the terms were positive, he was unable to express the rule concisely. He gave a method of approximating to the root of a numerical equation founded on the fact that if a function has opposite signs when two numbers are substituted on it, the equation obtained by equating the functions to zero will have a root between those two numbers. Cardan's solution of a quadratic equation is geometrical and substantially the same as that given by Al-Kharizmi. His solution of a cubic equation is also geometrical and may be illustrated by the following case which he gives in chapter 11. To solve the equation x squared plus 6x equals 20 or any equation of the form x squared plus qx equals r, take two cubes such that the rectangle under their respective edges is 2 or one-third q and the difference of their volumes is 20 or r the x will be equal to the difference between the edges and the cubes. To verify this, he first gives a geometrical lemma to shew that if from a line AC a portion CB be cut off, then the cube on AB will be less than the difference between the cubes on AC and BC by three times the right parallelopiped whose edges are respectively equal to AC, BC, and AB. This statement is equivalent to the algebraical identity a minus b quantity cubed equals a cubed minus b cubed minus 3ab multiplied by the quantity a minus b. And the fact that x satisfies the equation is then obvious. To obtain the lengths of the edges of the two cubes, he has only to solve a quadratic equation for which the geometrical solution previously given sufficed. Like all previous mathematicians, he gives separate proofs of his rule for the different forms of equations which can fall under it. Thus he proves the rule independently for equations of the form x cubed plus px equals q, x cubed equals px plus q, x cubed plus px plus q equals zero, and x cubed plus q equals px. It will be noticed that with geometrical proofs this was almost a necessity, but he did not suspect that the resulting formulae were general. The equations he considers are numerical, but in some of his analysis he uses literal coefficients. Shortly after Cardan came a number of mathematicians who did good work in developing the subject, who are hardly of sufficient importance to require a detailed mention here. Of these, the most celebrated are perhaps Ferrari and Reticus. Ferrari. 
Ludovico Ferraro, usually known as Ferrari, whose name I have already mentioned in connection with the solution of a biquadratic equation, was born at Bologna on February 2, 1522, and died on October 5, 1565. His parents were poor, and he had taken into Cardan's service as an errand boy, but was allowed to attend his master's lectures and subsequently became the most celebrated pupil. He is described as a neat, rosy little fellow, with a bland voice, a cheerful face, and an agreeable short nose, fond of pleasure, of great natural powers, but with the temper of a fiend. His manners and numerous accomplishments procured him a place in the service of the Cardinal Ferrando Gonzaga, where he managed to make a fortune. His dissipations told on his health, and he retired in 1565 to Bologna, where he began to lecture on mathematics. He was poisoned the same year either by his sister, who seems to have been the only person for whom he had any affection, or by her paramour. Such work as he produced is incorporated in Cardan's As Magna or Bombelli's Algebra, but nothing can be definitely assigned to him except the solution of a biquadratic equation. Cola had proposed the solution of the equation x to the fourth plus 6x squared plus 36 equals 60x as a challenge to mathematicians. This particular equation had probably been found in some Arabic work. Nothing is known about the history of this problem except that Ferrari succeeded where Tartaglia and Cardan had failed. Reticus Georg Joachim Reticus, born at Feldkirk in February 15, 1514, and died at Cachau on December 4, 1576, was professor at Wittenberg and subsequently studied under Copernicus, whose works were produced under the direction of Reticus. Reticus constructed the various trigonometrical tables, some of which were published by his pupil Otho in 1596. These were subsequently completed and extended by Vieta and Petiscus, and are the basis of those still in use. Reticus also found the values of sine of 2 theta and sine of 3 theta in terms of sine theta and cosine theta. I add here the names of some other celebrated mathematicians of about the same time, though their works are now of little value to any save antiquarians. Franciscus Morlicus, born at Messina of Greek parents in 1494 and died in 1575, translated numerous Latin and Greek mathematical works and discussed the conics regarded as sections of a cone. His works were published at Venice in 1575. Jean Borel, born in 1492 and died at Grenoble in 1572, wrote an algebra founded on that of Stiefel and a history of the quadrature of the circle. His works were published at Lyons in 1559. Wilhelm Zeilander, born at Augsburg on December 26, 1532, and died on February 10, 1576, at Heidelberg, where since 1558 he had been a professor, brought out an edition of the works of Celis in 1556, an edition of Euclid's Elements in 1562, an edition of the Arithmetic of Diophantus in 1575, and some of the minor works which were collected and published in 1577.
Federigo Comandino, born at Urbino in 1509 and died there on September 3, 1575, published a translation of the works of Archimedes in 1558, selections from Apollonius and Pappus in 1566, Euclid's Elements in 1572, and selections from Astarchus, Ptolemy, Hero, and Pappus in 1574, all being accompanied by commentaries. Jacques Peltier, born at Le Mans on July 25, 1517, and died at Paris in July 1582, wrote several textbooks on algebra and geometry. Most of the results of Stifel and Cardan are included in the former. Adrian Romanus, born at Louvain on September 29, 1561, and died on May 4, 1625, professor of mathematics and medicine at the University of Louvain was the first to prove the usual formula for the sine of a plus b. And lastly, Bartholomaeus Petiscus, born on August 24, 1561, and died at Heidelberg, where he was professor of mathematics on July 2, 1613, published his trigonometry in 1599. This contains the expression for the sine of a plus b and the sine of a minus b, and also the cosine of a plus b and the cosine of a minus b in terms of the trigonometrical ratios of a and b. About this time, also several books were produced, which if they did not extend the boundaries of the subject, they systematized it. In particular, I may mention those of Ramus and Bombelli. Ramus Peter Ramus was born at Cuth in Picardy in 1515 and was killed at Paris in the massacre of St. Bartholomew on August 24, 1572. He was educated at the University of Paris and on taking his degree he astonished and charmed the university with the brilliant declamation he delivered on the thesis that everything Aristotle had taught was false. He lectured, for it will be remembered that in the early days there were no professors, first at Le Mans and afterwards at Paris, and at the latter he founded the first chair of mathematics. Besides some works on philosophy, he wrote treatises on arithmetic, algebra, geometry founded on Euclid, astronomy founded on the works of Copernicus, and physics, which were long regarded on the continent as the standard textbooks on these subjects. They are collected in an edition of his works published at Bale in 1569. Bombelli. Closely following the publication of Cardan's great work, Raffaello Bombelli published in 1572 an algebra which is a systematic exposition of what was then known on the subject. In the preface he alludes to Diophantus, who in spite of the notice of Regiomantus, was still unknown in Europe and traces the history of the subject. He discusses radicals, real and imaginary. He treats the theory of equations and shews that in the irreducible case of a cubic equation the roots are all real and he remarks that the problem to trisect a given angle is the same as that of the solution of the cubic equation. Finally, he gave a large collection of problems. Bombelli is chiefly distinguished in connection with the improvement of the notation of algebra which he introduced. The symbols then ordinarily used for the unknown quantity and its powers 
were letters which stood for the abbreviations of these words. Those most frequently adopted were R or RJ for radix or res x, Z or C for zensus or census x squared, C or K for cubus x cubed, etc. Thus, x squared plus 5x minus 4 would have been written 1zp period 5rm period 4, where p stands for plus and m stands for minus. Xylander, in his edition of the Arithmetic of Diophantus in 1575, used other letters, and the symbols plus and minus would have been written in the above expressions thus, 1q plus 5n minus 4. A similar notation was sometimes used by Vieta and even by Fermat. The advance made by Bombelli was that he introduced a symbol like a semicircle holding a 1 above it, which I'll just call cup 1 for the unknown quantity, and cup 2 for its square, and cup 3 for its cubed, and so on, and therefore he wrote x squared plus 5x minus 4 as 1 cup 2 p period 5 cup 1 m period 4. Stevinius in 1586 employed 1 in a circle, 2 in a circle, and 3 inside a circle in a similar way, which I'll call circle 1, circle 2, circle 3, and suggested, though he did not use a corresponding notation for fractional indices, he would have written the above expression as 1 circle 2 plus 5 circle 1 minus 4 circle 0. But whether the symbols were more or less convenient, they were still only abbreviations for words, and were subject to all the rules of syntax. They merely afforded a sort of shorthand which the various steps and results could be expressed concisely. The next advance was the creation of symbolic algebra, and the chief credit of that is due to Vieta. The development of symbolic algebra. We have now reached a point beyond which any considerable development of algebra, so long as it was strictly syncopated, could hardly proceed. It is evident that Stifel and Bombelli and other writers of the 16th century had introduced or were on the point of introducing some of the ideas of symbolic algebra. But so far as the credit of inventing symbolic algebra can be put down to any one man, we may perhaps assign it to Vieta, while we may say that Harriet and Descartes did more than any other writers to bring it into the general use. It must be remembered, however, that it took time before all these innovations became generally known, and they were not familiar to the mathematicians until the lapse of some years after they had been published. End of section 17. Recording by Paul King. pjk.scripts.mit.edu forward slash pkj.